0: venture to say in yours as well. We take gathering on Sunday um, for granted, but it's only by God's grace and God's mercy in our life that we even have breath to wake up on Sunday and to come and worship and fellowship with Him and with one another. And so it's a great honor to get to stand in this pulpit this morning and preach God's holy word to God's chosen people. As you know, we are in our series and we've labeled this series called Origins. We're walking through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We've labeled it origins because all of what we believe to be true about God and about His holy scriptures and what's true about man can be found in these first 11 chapters of Genesis. This is the very bedrock or the very foundation of God's Word and what we believe to be true about that. So we've been walking our way through slowly. Um, and uh, hopefully with much anticipation and much uh, new awareness to God's Word. So often we can come to these first few chapters and we've heard them our whole life and we've colored pictures about them and we uh, have songs about them. But there's so much truth in these first 11 chapters. This morning I want to start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Just as a way of backdrop to catch us up to speed. Uh, we are finally at the place where man has fallen. God, as you know, in chapter 1 creates His his universe for man to come on uh, the, the last day to put man into his proper place and that God would then give man dominion over all that God had created and wants to be in partnership with man. We see this relational God with God's people. And God had given the man a few commandments. Just really one, not to to eat. thats the one prohibition that He told him not to do. There's this one tree in the middle of the garden. I, I don't want you to eat it. Because I know it's best for you. And if you eat it, that's not what's best for you. But everything else is for yours and for your enjoyment as much as you desire. And then we saw a couple weeks ago the serpent, more crafty than any other beast that God had created. Um, Satan had entered into that crafty beast and deceived Adam and Eve. And so here we are and at this point in Genesis chapter 3. What I'd like us to do this morning, if you can, use your imagination. The, the sermon title is this. It's the courtroom. I want us to get our minds and we're going to enter into God's courtroom this morning. On chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, the first crime had been committed. So there's got to be a a judicial process. We know God's a God of justice. So God is going to show us what it looks like in His courtroom. The three things I want to look at, and then I'm going to come back next week as part two. Uh, Next week is the verdict. It's heavy, but it's what happens because of our sin. There's both uh, consequences and, and promises in the verdict. But this morning I want to look at three things. I want to look at first the arraignment. Then I want to look at the examination. And then I want to look at the defense. So let's look at first the arraignment. Says this, this in verse 8 and 9, the arraignment. And they heard, they being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? So the arraignment. I love how God isn't waiting for man to come to him, but God comes to man. You see, oftentimes in the courtroom, we get drug into court. But God is going to come to God's people. God knows exactly where they are. God knows exactly what they've done. There's none of this anticipation process. If you've ever been to court, there's this long, drawn-out anticipation process before you ever get to see the judge. You are going to the judge. The judge does not come to you, but God in His gracious, loving kindness comes to man. God comes out of His throne room. The court ought to be in heaven in the Holy of Holies before God's throne. But no, God in His kindness, His grace, His mercy to us comes out of heaven and comes onto the planet to find Adam and Eve. He sets the courtroom for us. It's interesting to me where God and how God chooses to come. Look where God chooses to come in the garden, in what? The cool of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but when the court system often does raids, they don't come at the cool of the day. They come in the shadows. They come at night. They come by surprise. No, God is going to do what God had always done. God had always walked with Adam and Eve. And so God is going to continue His routine to be with God's people because God desires to be with us even though he knows this is not a surprise what God is about to walk into. God is not shocked at what happened. God is not coming out of heaven and wandering around the garden. God knows exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3, 1-7. to And yet it says this, that God and His goodness to God's people walks in the coolness of the day. Thank God that God does not play like we play. God does not come in the shadows. I don't know about you, but maybe I'm just a bad parent. I don't know. I often want to catch my kids doing something. Like, and so I'll walk to the the next room over and kind of eavesdrop into things and then, like, surprise them, like, dad's been here the whole time. Like, and they get, you know, they get startled. Am I the only parent that's ever done that? Okay, I'm not the only one good. I'm not that bad of a parent. I guess I could go to parenting classes. But God doesn't do that. God isn't hiding behind trees. God comes right to where Adam and Eve are in the cool of the day. So He sets the courtroom. He sets the arraignment. It says this about man and his wife. They hid themselves from the presence of God. They had known they had done something wrong. They had a conscience. They had the Holy Spirit with them. And that moment back in Genesis chapter 3 where they ate of the fruit that God called them not to ate, all of a sudden, in their heart, something is broken, something is shattered. And they tried to hide themselves from the presence of God Is that not what sin does to all of us? When we sin, there's this thing that happens in all of us. It's called separation from God and other people. And so they're doing physically what had already happened to them spiritually. There had already been separation between them and God. And so because of that, there's something going on internally in them that they're trying to get even further away from. Anyone else ever done that? Sinned against someone and then gone and hid? Man, I remember as a child, sinning and then running up a tree. Now, the tree was not very tall, and so my parents could see to the top of the tree. So it wasn't like I was hiding very well. Anyone ever done that before? Like you think you're hiding, but you're not hiding at all? That's what's happening to Adam and Eve. They think they're hiding from God, but what they don't realize is God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. We cannot hide from God. And so when God shows up on the scene exactly where they're at, he, He's not asking them, where are you, a GPS question. He's not saying, hey Siri, he knows exactly where they are, what God is doing. He's setting the arraignment for them to bring to them confession. But This is not a question mark question, though it is in the Bible. This is a gracious question to God's people. To ask God's people, what has happened? What's transpired? Not what you have done, but what's been done to you. We have to understand that when it comes to sin. That sin has caused something to happen in us. Not only have we done something externally, but something has always taken place first internally. And it says this, they hid themselves from God among the trees. They're hiding in the very place that they already sinned against the trees. Anyone else find that fascinating? They hide in the place where they already sinned, in the trees. Not the bushes, but in the trees. We hid ourselves in the trees in the garden. And then God said, where are you? So the arraignment has been taking place. They're now in the courtroom of God, the judge. Now Here's what's going to change for us about 4,000 years from this moment. If you ever been to a courtroom, you'd never want to be in a courtroom without a defense attorney. Right? Like, I don't want to go to court and defend myself. Uh, I can barely speak English properly, so to stand before a, a judge to give a defense is going to be a disaster. But here's Adam and Eve, defenseless, before a holy God. But there's going to be another courtroom set 4,000 years from this moment. And you and I are going to meet our defense attorney. I'm going to get there next week. But here's these two people, defenseless, before God. And he asked them the question. Get to the examination in a moment. But it said they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Here's what's true about hiding from God. It's impossible. We cannot hide from God. God is always going to come and God is always going to call. What's true about us is when we hear, we always hide. But God always comes and always calls. The great Baptist preacher in England called it this, the hound of heaven will always pursue we you know of a story in, a true story of a minor prophet. His name was Jonah. Jonah, in the same way, had sinned against God. God had called Jonah. God had told Jonah, command to do. The same way that He commanded Adam and Eve not to do something, He commands the prophet Jonah to go and testify, go and proclaim God's truth to these wicked, wicked people in Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? Jonah runs and hides from God. But here's what's true. God pursued Jonah. Now the first pursuit of Jonah came from a vicious, vicious storm. See, Jonah is walking away from the presence of God, trying to escape from the presence of God. But God in His goodness sends a storm to bring Jonah back to Himself. And even in the storm, Jonah decides, that's not good enough, God. I'm not going to return to you. He gets to this, such a state of despair that he'd rather die than face the presence of God. R- remember what he says to the mariners in chapter 1 of Jonah. Hey, I know this is about me. I've sinned against God. He makes that confession, but doesn't make it to God, makes it to the mariners. And he simply says to the mariners, just throw me overboard. Now, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, but in a wicked storm like that, you're going to die. And so Jonah would rather run from the presence of God than face God. I wonder how true that is for us in this room this morning. That we've sinned against God. And we're still trying to outrun God. But God and His love is constantly pursuing us. This is the pursuit that we see in Jonah. This is the pursuit that we see in Genesis chapter 3 of Adam and Eve. That God is pursuing them even in the midst of their sin. And so maybe there's a storm in your life today. And that storm is not God trying to get you. But that storm is being used by God to draw you to Himself the same way that He's saying to Adam and Eve, where are you? He's asking you, where are you in the midst of the storm? Because I'm right here. I'm pursuing you. I'm coming after you. Well, remember what Jonah did. Jonah jumps overboard. And God said, okay, I guess the storm didn't get your attention. So, what does he do? He appoints a great fish to get his attention. And finally, Jonah's attention is gotten to by God. And he makes true confession. But here's what's sad about this place. In the examination, Adam and Eve never make true confession. And so he picks up. The courtroom is set. The holy God is on his throne room to bring uh, the, the verdict. And so he's going to examine the people that are in his courtroom. And he says this in verse 10. In verse 9, he says this, And the Lord God called to man and said to him, Notice who God called to first. Man. This is an Adam issue, not an Eve issue. Remember though, Eve is the one that took and ate first. And as I said a couple weeks ago, Adam passively watched it happen. Remember that the words of God came to who first? Adam, not Eve. So it was secondhand information that Eve had heard and Adam knew standing in the garden when the serpent was tempting Eve. Hey, I know the words of God. I heard the words of God. And so who does God place the primary blame on? Not Eve, but Adam. Therefore, God questions man first and says to man, where are you? And now here comes this pseudo-confession in the examination process of Adam. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I wonder how often Adam had heard that sound in the garden. This is what it was like for me. I I lived on a long gravel road. And so I often heard my dad, when he would come home from work, drive up the gravel road. Now sometimes I heard the gravel road and I had much anticipation my birthday, you know, great events, things were going things to come to me, and I was excited to hear the gravel road. But there was often times that that gravel road would happen and I'd remember the words of my mom, wait till your dad gets home. And that gravel road didn't sound so pleasant. But well, here's what's true about Adam. He'd never heard the gravel road in an unpleasant way. He'd only heard the sound of God in a pleasant way. But something in him knew he had done something wrong. It's called conviction. And he hid from God. He'd heard God in the sound of the cool of the day many times. And this time, something was different for Adam. He hid from God. And God comes calling. And God comes looking for confession and repentance. It says this, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. Adam had never been afraid before. He'd never had fear before. There's nothing for him to fear. What's the first thing that he fears? He didn't fear the snake. The first thing he fears is God's presence. I was afraid because I was naked. Another translation is, I was exposed. Sin always leaves us exposed. Sin always leaves us vulnerable. And I hid myself. Or I protected myself. And then God, in his examination, asks three questions. He says this. God said, who told you you were next? Now, again, this is not a question that God doesn't know the answer to. God is simply saying this. Who, who told you? It, it, it was not me. So was it Eve or was it the serpent or was it yourself? Like, who told you what's going on in you? Because I'm not the one that told you you were naked. Because the last time I talked to you about being naked, you had no shame or fear. So who told you this? All he's looking for is confession. And then he asks the next question. Have you eaten a tree which I commanded you not to? what have you done? What happened? What's going on? Just tell me the truth. Not that I don't know the truth, but I'm inviting you into the process for a confession with me. What has happened? And then you see the third question is in verse 13. He says to Eve, what is this that you have done? You see, God is asking us those same three questions. Who told you? what have you done? And again, what have you done? And what he's looking for is confession of their sin. Sin is this. Sin is simply that we've missed the mark, that God's called us to holiness and we've missed the mark. And so God is looking for God's people to always confess their sin, how they've missed the mark. Not, not again so that he can bring judgment upon them, but He. He simply in confession so they can be back into right relationship with them. That's that's all confession is for us, is that we've sinned against the Holy God and God wants us to confess so that there'll be again oneness with Him. God isn't a God that wants to punish us. Yes, God is a God that disciplines us, but it's not punishment. Discipline always fosters intimacy and relationships. Punishment always divides. God is not a God of punishment. God is a God of discipline. And He will always discipline sin. How come? How come God will discipline sin? How come God is coming and wanting restoration and confession? Because God knows this to be true about sin. my great fear is we do not know this to be true about sin. The great reformer Martin Luther says this about sin. Do we know this to be true about sin? Sin is progressive. Meaning sin will, it's never satisfied. Sin will always take more. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin is going to be progressive in your life. What you do today, if it goes unconfessed, it will, the Bible says this about sin. It will lead to death. I'll get there in James. And so sin is very progressive. That's why with my children, I, I want to discipline them. I want to train them up in the Lord, because if I don't, I, I know at four and eight years old, when they're 14 and 18, what they do today matters about how they live their life 10 years from now, because it is dangerous. Sin is super dangerous. It's very progressive. Here's the other thing, though sin is progressive. You know what? Sin is awfully. I say it this way, sin is not boring, but sin is boring in the sense of it's the same. Like, sin is the same. You boil down sin, it's always the same. It's the same every time, everywhere. Like, we get created with sin, but what happens in sin is, it's very vanilla. Meaning, it's simply this, sin separates us from God. You see, because it's, boring, but yet somehow we get duped with it. Sin is the same everywhere, every time. Separation from God, ourselves, and other people. That's all that sin does. If you boil sin down to those things, it's those three things is what Luther says. The last one I think is the most important one is this, that we get blinded. By the goodness of God, and sin. Sin blinds us, blinds us to God's goodness. You see, when Adam and Eve, they hide from God; they're hiding from God's goodness. Sin robs us of the goodness of God, and therefore, if we don't believe in the goodness of God, we'll always hide from God. I don't know about you. I, I grew up in a home that was not the most loving home there was a lot of abuse in my home and because of that abuse I didn't couldn't look at God for a long time as God being good and kind but God is a good and kind God and what God comes God is not abusive but he's good and kind to us Now let's look at the examination. And now let's look at man's defense. Questions, man, he examines them and then it says this. The man either he's had enough or God pauses and man said this. Man said, "The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it." Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Their defense is this. It's the blame game. Now Adam, it doesn't bode well for him. He talks to Adam first, then he gets to Eve. Adam's first blame is this. He blames the woman. I was thinking about this while I was studying this week. You know, Adam lived from this day on, 930 more years. That's a long time to throw your wife under the bus. I think about that for a moment. 930 years from that day. How many times do you think Eve brought that up in the conversation? Hey, you remember Adam when you... You think he, she ever let that one go? Like threw that woman right under the bus. Hey, it's that woman doesn't even call her name. Now, I don't know about you, fellas, but I can't go around telling Jenny. I can't say, hey, look, woman. That doesn't go well in my house. And so here Adam is, hey, that woman. Remember the last time Adam spoke of the woman, what he said. Do you remember what he said? Ah, at last. The bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. And the next time we see Adam talking about the woman, Toss, she goes. Thump, thump. Again, there's not a whole lot of things. Jenny, She doesn't hold anything against me, but 930 years? Howie. It's a long time. Somehow, I guess he looked at the judge's face and thought, oh, that didn't go over too well. Now look who he cast the blame at. The woman who? you gave me it's not just her fault but now it's your fault God that's the one finger I would not want to point at that finger towards God blaming him for what he had just given him I would not want to point that finger but I wonder church how often we blame God for our sins There's no telling how many men have come into my office as a counselor and blamed their, adul- uh, their adultery on the other woman. Well, it's her fault. And, and then they scramble and say, well, if God hadn't have given me that new job, or if God had I'm like, oh, no, here we go. Like, I kind of back my seat up, because that lightning bolt's coming. I'm like, that's not good. Now, we may not say it out loud. I just wonder how often we blame everyone else around us, and ultimately we're blaming God. Because God is the one that put us in that certain place. You hear, here's what's true. We ought never blame God. God does not tempt us, not ever. We know that through James chapter 1, verse 13. It says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. The blame is never on God. It's on ourselves. If you just hadn't given me that spouse. Or if you just had none of her. You just had none of her. You just had enough. Or, you just had enough, or if she just had enough. No, no, no. Temptation is never external. Temptation always starts in the heart. Starts here. I'm led astray, it says, right after James chapter 13, let no one say we're tempted by God. It says this, but each person is tempted when he is what? Enticed by his what? His own desires. Temptation is not outward temptation is inward it's a problem of the heart. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3 the problem started with them not believing in the goodness of God that's internal it's not external. they were lured away by their what their own desires. Remember I said I'd get to this remember what happens with sin. Says this in verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, why does God come out of heaven to be with God's people? Because God knows sin gives birth ultimately to death. And He knows this. We talked about it in Genesis chapter 1. God is the author of life. So God pursues man to bring them back and to bring them life again. My great fear for us. I'm going to get next week to the verdict. There's a verdict for for the serpent. There's a verdict for the woman. And there's a verdict for the man. And then ultimately there's a verdict for all of humanity. My question to you this morning is this. As God is setting the courtroom for you, are you hiding from God today in your sin? Have you made flimsy attempts to cover yourself with a few fig leaves, so to speak? Are you hiding in the trees? Because here's the promise of God. God is and will always pursue you, no matter how hard you try to hide from him. The hound of heaven will come. Here's what's true about the hound of heaven. Here's what's true about God. You can never outrun God. God is way more sovereign. God is way more powerful. God is way more in control than your flimsy attempt to hide from him. And here's the scariest part of all of it. You will face God one day. no matter how hard you try to run today. You may think you're escaping God for all of your life, but there will be a day when you stand in the presence of God Almighty and you can no longer escape Him. My prayer is simply this, that you would face God today on this side of eternity and not on that side of eternity. But you will face God. I will face God Almighty and He will call and He will simply say, The very first thing that he said to Adam and Eve, the very first question, where are you? What happened? And I will have to answer that question. My other question is this. Are you hiding from Christ? Are you hiding from God? Or is this true about you? Catch what I'm saying. here. Are you hidden in Christ? Christ. You can hide from Christ, but it does not matter unless you are hidden in Christ. It says this in Colossians chapter 3. He says this, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Is that true for you? Are you hiding from Christ are you hidden in Christ you see in your hiding you cover but in us hiding in Christ we're covered by his blood not from some flimsy leaves leaves do not bring sanctification or salvation only the blood of Christ who died for you brings salvation and sanctification if you are running from God My prayers this morning, you would stop running and you'd answer the question, here I am, God, and make true confession. I'm a sinner that needs your mighty grace. I've sinned against you and you alone. And in that moment, you go from hiding to being seen, to be hidden in Christ. And it's hiding in Christ that gives us the verdict that we want, and I'll look at that next week. We're all going to face a verdict. Will it be guilty or will it be innocent? There is a verdict coming for every single one of us. I'll break the punchline for next week. The truth is this. We're all guilty. We've all hidden from God. If you are in Christ Jesus, the verdict will be you are innocent because of the blood of the Lamb. You will have a defense attorney in God's holy courtroom. Do you, this morning, have a defense attorney in Christ? Christ alone. Let us pray.